0: I'm really excited. We're in a uh, a new series that we're launching into this week that will take us all the way up, uh, I believe, to the holidays uh, series, which will be really, really fun. And um, we're talking for the next several weeks about what it means and what it looks like to walk with God and how there have been some... Very, very interesting testimonies in the scriptures of people who are identified as people who walked with God. And they're outed in the scriptures with this epitaph that they walked with God. It had me thinking about how we kind of live in a, a time in an era where it is cool to be out there and declaring whatever it is you are as long as it isn't someone who walks with God. It's pretty cool right now to just be out there declaring, I'm a person who loves the color blue. All the blue lovers, let's just kind of come together. Whatever it is, you can pick your thing. And it is like cool to say, I'm, I'm a this, and I'm proud of all of the things about this. But if it is, I'm someone who walks with God, culturally, it's time, hey, 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 easy there. Easy there. I was with you on all the other stuff, but if it comes out that you walk with God, it's like the only place where it's not okay for you to be outed anymore in any of the ways that you believe or think or live or behave is when it comes to walking with God. And I was thinking about the tension of that. And then I was thinking about the scriptures and how often the scriptures elevate people who walked with God. And so for the next several weeks, we're going we're to talk about people who the scriptures identify as these are people who figured out what it was like to walk with God. And then they did it for a long period of time. Now, learning to walk is an interesting thing. I don't know if you've got babies. I got one right here in the front. She's adorable. (laughs) I'm gonna talk about her big brother for a second though because she learned how to walk easy. Her big brother, it was a little bit of, uh, a little bit more difficult. Now, if you have multiple kids, you know, everyone kind of learns their own way and they develop at their own pace and there's not any mathematical formula and you start getting concerned if it's like nine months, 10 months, 11 months, 12 months, and you're looking at curves and graphs and charts and trying to figure out where they should be, especially if it's your first one. If it's your second one, you don't even notice if they're walking or not yet because you're so exhausted because you haven't slept for 10 years. Anyways, so our first one, Brayden, he struggled walking early on. And there were some challenges that he had that were particular to him that my other kids didn't face the same way. He was disproportionate. He was scrawny, but he had a big Puerto Rican head. And so walking for him presented some challenges because he'd prop himself up and he had this weight that was like half his body weight that his rest of his body couldn't maintain it. So he'd start to lean forward and there would be momentum that he didn't intend to be there and he'd have to stagger until he would just wipe out and it was adorable but painful and frustrating for him. What was really hilarious is then he couldn't get back up because his head was so heavy. He'd have to get up. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been snowboarding before but he'd have to get up like a snowboarder would get up, right? He couldn't like push himself up to his knees and then pull himself up from there. He couldn't do it. He had to roll over onto his back, sit up, right? There was like a whole process for him to get up early on. Why? Because he was like disproportionate. He hadn't learned kind of how to manage his weight and his balance. His muscles weren't strong. You know, he had to do some planking and get some core exercise in so that he could manage that. But as he was learning how to walk, all of us, I think, uh, can relate to, the, to sometimes that can be difficult. But uh, as he was learning how to walk, one of the things that would be very incredibly helpful for him is if one of us would walk alongside him and, and suddenly, come on, you parents, you know this, you're walking alongside him, but you're trying to not help him, but you just want him to know that you're there, and he'd take a couple steps, and he'd wobble, and you're like, whoa, 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 and you, you know, and you walk with him, and kind of step by step, he starts to get a rhythm, he starts figuring out, like, um, I don't know what the principle of gravity is there, to kind of get his spine and skull aligned, (laughs) so that he can kind of manage (laughs) the weight that he's carrying around. Now, he's a big kid now, proportion everything's fine, and he was in first service, so he knows I'm joking about him, but, uh, (laughs) but, but for a long time he couldn't do it unless somebody walked alongside of him and there's something powerful about learning how to walk with somebody now I don't know some people enjoy walking for exercise I don't understand this about people I know you exist. Uh, my mom is one of these, and uh, she's a school bus driver. So on her breaks in the afternoon, her and the other school bus drivers, they like to go for walks. They got little tracks of places that they go, and they go see things, and you know. But she gets a group of people, and they all walk together, and that's just something they they do that for fun. I walk to get somewhere. <laughs> like the refrigerator, but I walk to get somewhere, right? To accomplish some kind of a purpose, not just for fun. But I have found, talking with my mom, that she does really good, enjoys walking if she has some people to walk with. But if you're gonna walk with somebody, they gotta walk at the pace that you walk at. They gotta wanna walk the way you walk. The scriptures describe this in Amos chapter three like this, that do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? People don't walk together just kind of instinctively. They have to make an agreement to do this. This was never more true to me than the last time I was at Disneyland. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland. I was there. Um, I, I was, there was a conference, so I had to be down there, but I had my family with me. And I enjoy Disneyland. But what I like about Disneyland is I have a plan in my head. The moment I walk in the door... I can tell you about how long it should take us to hit all the rides I care about. And then from that point on, if you want to dork around, I don't care. But I need to do this lap in this amount of time so that we don't get too late and miss our opportunity to be all the places that I want to go. However, my family was not at the same page of how I wanted to walk. So I walk in the door and they're like, I want to see Minnie Mouse. And I'm like, Minnie Mouse, will be back around in the evening. We got to hit all these rides. I like these flowers. This is beautiful. I want to stop and see this. I'm like, we don't stop and smell the roses until we've ridden Pirates of the Caribbean. It's not on the list, right? And so I'm trying to walk at a pace, and they're behind me enjoying life and hundreds and then thousands of people are in between us and I'm pushing and I have all our tickets because I'm trying to get us fast passes to rides and I'm trying to hurry us up. And here's the thing, there can be a lot of tension if you're walking with someone and they don't agree to walk at the pace that you're walking on. And they don't agree to walk at the way that you're walking. Maybe it's not Disneyland, maybe it's just the grocery store or the mall. You know some of the fights you get into, you're trying to push through the mall I won't say she and he stops to look at something and she's pushing her way through and she's like, we haven't got where I want to go. It's time to go. No. All right. None of you believe me on that. Some of you are with me. Some of you are with me. Come on now. It's pretty funny that we struggle when we try to walk with people and we get out of sync and we have to make an agreement to be on the same page. And so the scriptures tell us that not only can we learn to walk with God, we can agree in our walk with God to be on the same page. And there's a few people in scripture who have clearly been identified as those that have accomplished this. And I love this because I cannot imagine a better epitaph than Marshall, this guy walked with God. Can you imagine people and and, and thinking about you and your life and what you accomplished and the mantra, the the epitaph, the story of your life looks something like this. They walked with God. They walked with God. Now, the scripture doesn't identify that everyone gets that moniker. Not everyone does. But there are some individuals who certainly did. And because of that, we're going to recognize a couple of them in the next few weeks and see what are the characteristics of somebody who earned this Thousands and thousands of years, their epitaph was, this person walked with God. Now, what's fascinating to me is that those scriptures are full of some individuals that do this. There are actually certain points where the picture is that entire communities have come together and rallied around the word of God and made a decision to walk with God. In matter of fact, in 2 Kings chapter 23, I love this passage. It says that the king, as the king... Stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord, a promise to God, to what? To walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and with all their soul and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all of the people stood to the covenant. And I love this picture of the king making a decision, saying, I'm going to make a promise before God that we're gonna to keep to the word of God and we're gonna walk in the ways of God. And all the people stood and said, yeah, we're gonna do that. There's something powerful because entire communities can do that. But what does it actually look like to do that? And how does it work? In order to figure that out, we're gonna break into the word of God in the next uh, several weeks and just look at individuals who had on their epitaph, they walked with God. And one of the coolest is the first person in scripture who gets this picture. And it's a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch has a cool name, and he's got an even cooler story. What do we know about Enoch? If you have your Bibles, you can open to uh, Genesis chapter 5. If you can't find Genesis, got problems, (laughs) come see me afterwards. (laughs) We need to pray for you. Genesis is in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 5. <clears throat> and we're going to meet a guy named Enoch about verse 18, 19. Genesis chapter 5. What do we know about Enoch? Enoch's an interesting story. If you uh, are a Bible trivia guy, his name will pop every once in a while as, uh, as, a, as an interesting answer to some questions. We know the name Enoch means dedicated or initiated. He was someone who was dedicated or who initiated something. We know that he was seventh in line from Adam, so we know Adam... Adam had kids, they 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 had kids. kids. Enoch, right? Seventh in line, great, 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 great Grandpa Adam. We know that's kind of his story. We know he was the father of Methuselah. If you're a Bible trivia person, Methuselah comes up every once in a while because Methuselah was the person who lived the longest on the face of the earth. Old man Methuselah. I love the story of Methuselah. We also know that Methuselah had a kid who had a kid named Noah. So he's the great-grandfather of Noah. So to contextually put you into Enoch's timeline, Adam, generation, 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 Enoch, Methuselah, generation Noah. That's where we're at, kind of in the story of creation and of time at Genesis chapter 5. We know he was an ordinary person. He wasn't a statesman. He wasn't a uh, political leader. He wasn't a military leader. We have no indication that he was uh, any way exceptional, a leader of a large family. We don't have a picture of that. Um, He wasn't invested. There was no tribal uh, uh, influence that he had at this place. We know he was basically just a guy, just a guy who was alive at this time. We know that about him. I kind of like that because a lot of times when we get to kind of these heroes of the faith, we think, okay, well, they got to be king. They got some of these other ancillary benefits of walking with God, but we don't see any picture of any of those benefits in terms of, in terms of uh, uh, political prowess, leadership, uh, leading of men. We don't see any of that in him. Hebrews tell us that it tells us that he pleased God by his behavior, so we know that about him. Jude tells us that he operated in a prophetic gift and that he prophesied and told people about God. He witnessed to God. And Genesis is about to tell us that he walked with God. Now, what do you know about a walk and going on a walk with someone? We know that when we walk with someone, it's a steady, progressive thing. It's repetitive. It's steady. We pace, right? Most of us don't walk like this. Most of us don't walk like this, right? It's a steady, progressive pace, like my daughter just did as she walked by. She modeled that beautifully. (laughs) (laughs) So we're in Genesis chapter five, and if you're with me, we'll dive right in. Genesis chapter five, verse 18. We're about to meet Enoch, and it says this. It says, when Jared had lived 162 years, He became the father of Enoch, verse 19. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived, listen to this, 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. We don't know them. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. Jared was old, not as old as Methuselah. Methuselah got him. His great-grandson got him by a few years, maybe four, maybe seven When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Let's pause right there. How old was Enoch when he had Methuselah? 65, we gotta remember, they're living a long, long time at this point, and so that's not unusual. But here's the first thing we really know about Methuselah. Now, not every cause in the scriptures uh, and causality are, are clearly pictured, but what we do know is that for 65 years, he was on the planet, existed in no significant way, at least historically, but at year 65, some things changed. We know he had Methuselah, he had a son, It appears that Methuselah is his first because then it references that he had other children after that, but it doesn't say before. And we know that from year 65 on, he made a decision to do what? To walk with God. Now, this is a fascinating picture of a man. 65 years, independent. We don't know if he's married, at what point he's married. We just know that at year 65, something changes. And that changes, he has a kid. Now I've noticed this about just kind of the human condition and being in ministry for a long time, you see this. Some of you that have been involved in ministry for a long time have seen this to be the case. But there's two powerful seasons in someone's life when they begin asking questions about faith in their adult life. A lot of times in their teenage world, they will. And then sometimes they'll wander from that, just statistically. And then pretty soon it comes time for them to get married. And as they're thinking about getting married, people have a lot of questions about their faith at that time. Maybe it has to do with two cultures merging together, two people moving, merging together, trying to plow forward into one life. Maybe it's part of just the process of becoming one. Maybe they've just had good premarital counselors. I'm not sure. But at some point in that pre-marriage-to-marriage phase, people are very open to conversations about their faith about what they believe and how they want to live their faith out in their life. It's one of those powerful, important moments. And the other one that seems to hit so often, and parents, you know this, is when you have kids. And suddenly you feel this awesome responsibility of stewarding another soul here on earth. And as you feel the weight of that responsibility, you begin to ask questions about your faith and about how you've been living that out, whether you feel like you've been doing a great job, no job, whether you have questions that you've never got answered, you start thinking about the morals and the, uh, what you want to deposit into the generation behind you. And you have questions about that. And oftentimes it's one of those critical moments in the life of a group couple of parents when that child comes in and they start asking, are we gonna bring this child to church? Are we gonna find a church? What does that church have to have for us to be there? What do we agree and disagree on? What, <clears throat> what is our landing zone and what's important to us and what values do we wanna instill into the generation behind us? What legacy are we leaving, come on now, in our kids? And people have those conversations. And so I found kind of in life and ministry that oftentimes people I meet for the first time are people who recently have uh, had children, And they're trying to figure things out. And they have questions, and they're trying to process that. And that's an awesome season. And that seems to be the case. Something like that happens with Methuselah. He, 65 years, just chilling on the earth. Nothing of account that we know. Methuselah's born, and suddenly, something changes. And the scriptures say, from that point on, he began to walk with God. Now, what's fascinating is if we look at the name uh, Methuselah, the name that he names his child, there's a lot of, uh, I'm just going to give like a picture of it. Methuselah is like a mashup of several Hebrew words to get a name out of it. So there's possibilities of the meaning of Methuselah that kind of run the gamut. But the essential meaning of the name Methuselah is a pretty powerful meaning. It basically means after him, it comes. After him it comes. Now, what comes exactly is a little bit ambiguous because of the nature of language and ways words can be used. Some some places will say a spear comes. Uh, Some places will say just that it comes. Some some places will say like a spring of water will come after him it comes. Now, here's the thing that's fascinating. And I, I mean, you just, you look at the Bible and you look at the historical things and you do the numbers and the math. And when things start falling into place, for me, I get excited. I nerd out. And I'm just like, how amazing and accurate and incredible is not just the word of God, but the heart of God. And so you start looking in the word and you go, okay, so Methuselah is born. He lives 969 years. And then the flood comes that year. And you do the math, and you do the math from, uh, from Adam uh, to Noah to the flood, and you're like, and you can do the math, and I should have written this down. I, I even first service realized I should have written it down. I could have written it down between services, and I was running my mouth, and I didn't do it. But essentially, it's like year 1656 from Adam to the flood, the year that Methuselah dies, the year that the flood comes. So what we don't know is if, if, is if the naming of Methuselah was a prophetic moment for Enoch but it certainly had prophetic implications. And we don't know if somehow God interacted with him at the birth of his son. We don't have a clear picture, but what we do know is the evidence is there that he had some picture that God was gonna be doing something in the earth and he named his child accordingly. And from that moment, everything else changed. Everything else changed. His behavior changed. His identity changed. All of those things were different. Now, here's something that this is free, but it's just pretty cool. If you think about it, the person who lived the longest on the face of the earth was the person with whom God had a conversation with his father saying, when, when this child dies is going to be the catalyst for the end of the world. And then he lived 969 years. And I just thought, what a cool picture of the grace of God to stretch out that season longer than any other season of somebody's life, I, don't know, I thought that was cool, just this picture of God stretching out time and the lifespan of Methuselah as long as possible before the coming of the flood. I just I personally thought that was just incredible and so i 'm reading this and i 'm studying i 'm learning, and I see wow this is this is pretty powerful. Enoch had a life change. he gets a picture, probably something in the prophetic of this difference, that thing that's gonna happen in the world from what he's seen so far. Verse 23, verse 22 says, then he walked with God for how long? 300 years. Altogether, verse 23, Enoch lived 365 years. Listen to this, this is amazing. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch walked with God. And then he was no more. God took him away. It's fascinating to think about a life so in step with God that God said, all right, you got this. We're there. Come on up. I want you with me. I began thinking about the life and what the world was like when Enoch was alive. You got to remember, this is pre-flood. We're at the place where the world was likely at the worst state it's ever been in. The state of mankind had degenerated to the worst state it's ever been in. Oftentimes, I think we think we live in the worst state that the world's ever been in, in terms of the hearts of man and the lives of men. But this was the worst before the flood. It was clearly the worst. The, de- the degeneration of culture and life. I wasn't even thinking about this. I was like, listen, if, if I know I'm only gonna live like 50, 60 more years, 80, 90 more years, right? The measure of that versus living five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred 900 years. Can you imagine you did something in like your, I don't know, your early hundreds? That was wicked. But now you're 300. It's like, dude, stop harassing me. That was 210 years ago. Yeah, I stole from that person. I murdered, I plundered, I did all those things. That was 180 years ago. That was 480 years ago. That was 625 years ago. These guys are living to the eight and 900 years old. Imagine someone who was wicked in their heart and in their life and had rejected God and then stayed on the earth to commit wicked acts for 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 years. I'm just saying the picture of this timeline is incredible. It's amazing to look at. It's amazing to see what the world must have been like in those times. Well, what was it like in Enoch's time? You know what's incredible is we have a picture of his words. I don't know if you knew this, but if you flip, you're in the very front of your Bible, you can flip all the way to the end, Revelation, and then come back one chapter, and there's a one page in there by the, page of, by the name of Jude. And in the book of Jude, Jude quotes Enoch, We can actually see what kind of words were coming out of his mouth. In Jude, verse 14, there's only one chapter. Jude quotes Enoch, and he says, Listen, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. So there's how we know he was a prophet. We know that he walked with God, and we know that he communicated, articulated the heart of God to men. And look at what Enoch said. He said, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, uh uh-oh, to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. We don't know anybody who does that, right? Ungodly people, who celebrate ungodly behavior and flatter themselves for it. People who reject the heart and the will and the mind of God and say, we're going to say something that's wicked is good and we're going to flatter ourselves for it. But here's what we know about Enoch. This man walked with God and in a culture, in a world that was living in absolute rebellion to God, he had the courage to point out that there's going to be consequences to this behavior. He had the courage to point out, hey, you're saying up is down, but up is still up. He had the courage to stand for God. Now, I love this because it's a quote from the ancient book of, uh, of Enoch, which isn't a canonical book of the Bible, but it certainly must be true because God preserved at least this phrasing in the book of Jude, this statement about his, uh, his prophetic ministry uh, certainly must be true because of that. And so we get to see this incredible picture of the heart Out of the words of Enoch. And this is someone who walked with God for 300 years. 300 years. Imagine walking with God for 300 years. Listen, sometimes I wonder how I'm going to manage to walk with God for the next 50 years. All right, God, I have 50 years left maybe, right? I'm just about to turn 40, maybe 60 years. No more than 80. And here's Enoch Walking with God, getting up every day, walking. Year one, year two, year three, year 110, year 150, year 211, year 288, 89, 90, 99, 300. God's like, Whew, that's plenty. Come home, come home. And he's living in a culture and he's living in a world that's rejected God. And we know that the world and the cultures rejected God because we're two generations from the flood and he's prophesying what he's prophesying. He's saying, hey, heads up, God's coming with angels, with support, and he's not going to put up and tolerate with behavior the type of which he's seen in the earth right now. It's a powerful and crazy truth and reality to live like that for that long. Now, here's what I love about what Jude says. What Jude says, can you put the Jude verse back up, the first verse? It says that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Now, this is fascinating because I thought that's a cool thing to be labeled like the seventh from Adam. I wonder why they were so careful about that. And, you know, in the Bible, sometimes the number seven important. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, is this a thing? What's going on here? But then I realize he's not just pointed out as the seventh from Adam, because maybe the number seven could be important, because there's another Enoch in Genesis, right before this, that we meet. And this Enoch is the son of Cain. And so he is connected to another Enoch. There's another Enoch who's the son of Cain. Now, this Enoch is also a little infamous uh, or famous, uh, whatever you're preferences. And this Enoch has an entire city named after him and is culturally significant and has a lot of influence and tremendous influence with man. He has fame throughout the earth. And so for our purposes, so we don't get confused, I'm going to call him Enoch the third because he would be third generation, right? It would be Adam, Cain, Enoch, right? So Enoch third generation is famous, has a city built after him. People come, bring honor to him. He's got some esteem. He's important and significant culturally, but not our Enoch. Enoch the seventh has none of those things. He's not named for that kind of esteem. And it it occurred to me that though you may have the same name as someone, you may not want the same legacy. Now I got a common name. There's a lot of mics out there. In fact, I wasn't aware how common my name was until I got to high school. And I was at a high school. My my class was huge. We had like 1,100 in our class. It was a huge class. We only graduated like 350 of them. (laughs) However, we started with a bunch. And in that bunch, believe it or not, there was another Michael Allison. And his middle name was Jesse. Mine is James. (laughs) Yes, imagine. So I get to high school. And suddenly this other clown, now I'm going to use the word clown literally because he would come to school dressed as a clown regularly. Just a picture so you know who he is. He had a teacher, a uh, parent who was at the high school, and he in his high school years rebelled like rebelled. As matter of fact, I got called in the office to give an account for some stuff that he did. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. we well, you're Michael Allison. I'm not that guy. Why don't you get his dad in here? He teaches science right down the hall. He'll tell you I'm not him. As a matter of fact, it was so irritating. My junior year, I'm not in the yearbook because they thought it was a misprint with two Michael J. Allisons. So if I didn't play sports, you wouldn't have known that I was in this giant high school. You got to go over to the baseball page to find me. So I know it can be frustrating to be confused with someone when you don't have the legacy that they have. And the writer Jude wants us to be sure that he, we understand just who he's talking about. Because the other Enoch, apparently we don't have a big picture of him, but he was famous for having fame and influence in the world. But our Enoch, our Enoch, number seven, he was famous for not having fame and influence in the world. He was famous because he got up every day for 300 years and made a decision to be a man who walked with God. Who do you want to be famous for? What do you want to be famous for? Who do you want to be associated with? Who do you want to be? Does your name need to ring out or does God's name need to ring out? Enoch The seventh was famous. Why? Because he lived a life walking with God every day that pointed people, pointed people to the heart of God. You see, walking with God will often look like you're walking out of step with the world. Walking with God will often look like you're walking out of step with the world. If you need a city named for you, if you need praise by men, if you need those kinds of adulations, it might become difficult in your daily journey to walk with God. Not saying that God won't elevate you, but if your first priority isn't walking with God and it's trying to please and satiate the world, it will be difficult to stay in step with God. It's just going to be hard to do. It's going to be hard to do. Everything in pop culture and in our world might be telling us, this is the way you should walk. This is the way you should parent. This is the way you should think. This is what you should listen to. This is what you should look at. This is how you should think about things. And you might be saying, I'm not so sure that you're right about all of that because I've been walking with God and it doesn't look like that. And you might find yourself at time to time at odds with the world and Enoch found himself in a situation surrounded by the kind of people who lived a long time, probably had long memories, who weren't living for God. And he said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, the other Enoch's famous. I don't know if he said that, but I'm going to keep on walking with God. We face this all the time, from little things to big things. Does our life look more in step with God or in step with the world? With people who work with you, Think, oh, you know what? Here's the thing. If no one at your work knows that you walk with God, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. If no one in your social circle knows that you walk with God, you're doing it wrong. You're not in sync with him. It could not be the case that you are walking with God in the world, meeting and introducing yourself to people, doing life with people in community with them, and they don't recognize there's something about you that's different. It's impossible that that would be the case. If the people who are in your inner circle have no idea that you're walking with God, I'm just saying, you're doing it wrong. Now listen, some of you are getting excited because you're like, finally, when is this pastor going to tell me that I can get in somebody's face and tell them knock off their behavior, right? Stop doing this, stop happening, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, whoa, slow you down just a second there, because that's not the permission that I'm trying to get. But here's what I'm trying to get to. It should be normal, Sylvia, that you walk in to a room of people and they're all gossiping and they go, oh, Sylvia's here. We better knock it off. Because they understand that in Sylvia's presence, that kind of behavior is not something that she's thrilled about. It doesn't reflect her culture, her character, her life. It's not who she is. It should be okay with you, Fred. You walk into the room and everybody's watching something and the content of it isn't great, and you walk in and they go, ah, we should probably turn this off. That level of uncomfortability, you should be comfortable in that level of uncomfortability with people. Why? Because what's coming out of your life, the story and the testimony of your life, should be influencing the culture that you're with. Why? Because you're in step with the king of the universe who has a better plan, a better way to do that, and your rhythm of your life is that way. Now listen, listen, This doesn't mean you walk into every room full of condemnation and like, hey, figure it out. Knock it off. That's never the case. As a matter of fact, to me, one of the great paradoxes of scriptures is this. When I look at the scriptures and I look at Jesus, the people who I see in the circles of Jesus who didn't like Jesus at all are usually the people who were trying very hard to behave like what Jesus would want. There was this tremendous tension that these people who were trying to behave, whether you call them Pharisees or kind of religious elite, whatever it is, who were trying to behave the way they would think that if the Messiah came, he would like. They had the hardest time with Jesus. Matter of fact, they didn't like Jesus at all. And then I watched Jesus interact with people whose behavior is nothing like Jesus. I watch him go to Matthew's house and I watch him partying with irreverent people. And I watch religious people standing outside staring at the window, going, "How's he getting away with this? Your teacher, why does he do this?" And I watch people who were far away from Jesus and, and were nowhere close in their behaviors to Jesus. They seem to like Jesus a whole lot. So the great paradox of Scripture isn't that Jesus came in to the world and began this, uh, this con- condemn in fact, the only place I see him condemning things ever are these religious people who seem to want to put a weight on people that's unreasonable. And people who are far away from Jesus, the invitation is always. You look through the scriptures. The invitation is always, "Come follow me." Why? Because He knows that if you get you get to step in rhythm with God, some things are going to break free in your life. Some freedom's going to happen. Some healing's going to happen. Some transformation and change is going to happen, and you're going to meet the Creator of the universe, and you'll never be the same. So I'm not giving you permission to just walk into here every time and be like, "Knock it off! I don't like this gospel." Right? But it should agitate things if you're walking with Jesus. You should be a change agent. And we get to live in that tension of loving people who are far away from Jesus, but not loving them to a place where we tolerate, come on now, things that are dishonoring to God and to us in their presence like that. We gotta find that tension and we gotta be in that, that lane. And here's Enoch walking with God, even though it looks like walking outside of a rhythm with the world. Enoch is remembered for having this amazing walk. As a matter of fact, we actually see him as a hero of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is a picture of heroes that walked with the faith. And how does it qualify people who were heroes that walked with the faith? It, It begins in verse one. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Verse two, this is what the ancients were commended for this group of people who are about to be commended through the book of, uh, uh, of Hebrews in the chapter of 11, they're people who had tremendous faith, who were able to trust God even when they couldn't see what God was doing. Can you imagine living in pre-flood, the world pre-flood, and wondering, God, what are you doing? I've heard your voice. I've named my son probably accordingly, and now I'm walking with you day by day, and sometimes I can't see what you're doing. And I'm not sure what you're up to. And I'm not sure why this wickedness is being allowed to happen and why you're tolerating it. But my faith is sure of what we hope for and certain of what I don't see. Verse five, when Enoch comes to the picture, look what Enoch's life was like. It says this, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he didn't experience death, which is just amazing. He could not be found. Can you imagine? 300 years, he's up every day walking with God. and Suddenly he's not there anymore. Everyone's like, uh, Enoch, um, Enoch? Like, we know he was, and he's gone. That's awesome. Anyways, I just, he was taken from this life. He did not experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, this is so cool. He was commended as one who pleased God. Before God took him, he was commended as someone who pleased God. See, we just read without faith, it's impossible to please God. Oh, we're about to read, verse six. And without faith, <laughs> it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You gotta believe he exists and he rewards people who earnestly seek him. I had a two-service moment there, right? I thought I'd already read that. <laughs> it doesn't happen to me very often. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here's Enoch. 65 years he's just living on the earth and he has a moment, an encounter with God of some kind that radically transforms him. He has a son. He names his son something prophetic. And then we know that for the next 300 years, he and God were in step. For the next 300 years, he and God were in step. So, what set Enoch apart? His ability to walk with God daily. Even when he couldn't see him at work. Even when he didn't know what he was doing. Because faith is the evidence of things that are unseen. It's believing in the, uh, the power and the nature and the character of God. That God is who he says he is. That he'll do what he says he can do. And so he made a decision to walk with God daily. He trusted him. And he kept walking with him. Here's the thing. If you and I are going to make a decision to walk together daily and I get up. And I walk, and you don't get up and walk. And now I'm here, and the next day I get up and walk, and I'm further, and you don't get up and walk, and the next day I get up and walk, and I'm further. We're not walking together anymore. Like day four, you're like, oh, I want to walk with you. And you're like, whoa, I got pretty far behind. Enoch was committed to daily walking with God, daily, intentional, faithful. What does that look like in our lives, to daily walk with God? I was trying to think of all the things that are part of my life or a part of our lives that we can get in step with God. Let me just ask you this. Is your calendar in step with God's heart? The way you spend your time? How about your resources? Are your resources in step with God? Have you been walking with God when it comes to your resource? How about your relationships? Are your relationships, are you giving to your relationships? Do you feel like that's in step with God? Are you in step with time, God or that? How about just when you have to make big decisions? Do you feel like you're in step with God when you're making big decisions? How about when it just comes to your family? Do you feel like you're in step with God in your family? What's fascinating is, you know, it really creates just a picture of alignment. Are we in alignment with God? Are we cruising the same direction? Do we have uh, the same picture of alignment that God has? I was thinking about this because um, I have a car uh, that that I... going to get rid of it pretty soon here, and had alignment problems at one time. And I I know what it's like to to have a car with alignment problems, and it's kind of drifting all the time. And your eye's going here, but your car's going here, right? And then here's the thing that's even more dangerous. When your car's in alignment, but you're looking around at something else, and you begin to drift towards the thing you're looking at. You know this. We live where there's traffic and accidents all the time. Let's face it. The danger isn't just that your car is going to break down. Your car breaks down, you get off to the side of the road, whatever, you're fine, What's really dangerous is that the next 900,000 people that drive by are all going to slow down and turn their heads and look at the stalled car over there. And inevitably, what seems to happen time and time again is someone's taken their eye off of the road, and now they're looking at you, and what happens? They either drift over to you and create an accident, or they nail the person in front of them who's also slowed down to look over at you because alignment and direction are important. And as we're walking, if my eyes are over here and I'm trying to walk with God, eventually I'm going to cause an accident. And Enoch shows us that over the course of 300 years, it is possible to daily make a decision to align my life with God. So here's Enoch. He's a hero of the faith. Why? Because he walked with God, and he's showing us how it's done. And then I started thinking about Enoch's impact. And I started thinking, what a crazy thing it is to have 300 years to create influence, to walk with God and make a difference. And then I started looking for the difference that Enoch clearly made. And I don't see it. There's not a list of people who became Enoch followers or followed God because of Enoch. And I started thinking, you know, sometimes it can be so discouraging when you feel like you're the only person that's walking with God and you're looking around for the impact. You're looking for the difference. You're looking for, like, like I'm a, why am I I'm the only one who's not participating in a thing that everyone else is doing? I'm doing the, my own thing or whatever it is, and I'm trying to walk with God and other people. What's the impact? And we can get discouraged. And I started thinking about the list of people behind Enoch, and I thought, you know what? He did make a difference for somebody, because when you turn the pages from Genesis 5 over to Genesis chapter 6, you're going to meet a guy named Noah, his great-grandson. And Noah is the next person that the scriptures say walked with God. Now, here's what you may not realize. You may not realize today that you're the crazy aunt or crazy uncle or the great-grandpa of or whatever whose story is going to be getting told someday to some generation behind you, to some other place, some other person, and they're going to talk about, oh, man, that great-grandpa Marshall, he was crazy and committed to God. Really? I didn't think there was anybody that was that crazy, committed to God. Oh, Marshall was. Well, that's crazy because I'm committed to God, and now I'm connected through time to the legacy and and the story that Marshall's life, implanted. And you may not realize your influence. And some of you are thinking, well, it's not that big a difference. Like, I got some of my life aligned with God, but this other stuff's not aligned. And somewhere behind you, that legacy is getting left. And I wonder, I wonder if you're not part of somebody else's story. Now, listen, there's, there's no way when he named Methuselah that Enoch could have had a total picture of Noah. But he made a difference to somebody. Because without that story, there's no Noah. Without Noah, come on now. You're not doing your nursery up with little giraffes. You know it's coming with little pictures of dead people under the water like you guys put in all your nurseries because you do it accurately, right? (laughs) What, you don't do that? You don't do accurate to the Bible stories when you put it on the wall for your kids? Did you stand with me? Now that we're laughing, I loosened you up a little bit because I want to ask you this question. How is your life alignment right now? What are the areas in your life? Maybe some of you haven't been walking in alignment with God at all. And this whole idea that you could walk with God is a new picture for you. Maybe you've heard some of the stories. You heard me talking about what what the gospel story is of Jesus coming, paying the price so you can be forgiven. But you've never taken any steps to begin to walk with God. And today's a moment when you would get an opportunity to do that. For some of you, you've been walking with God for a long time. But when I started asking about individual areas, maybe I nailed the area, maybe I didn't. Maybe it's your thought life that's not aligned with God. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's, maybe it's you're, you're too caught up in something else that's keeping you out of alignment with God. Maybe your politics are taking you out of alignment with God. I don't know. But as I began just talking about all of our lives being in sync with God, something began to surface in you and you thought, yeah, you know, I got this thing and it's not in alignment with God. I wanted to leave you this morning in worship. And so we're gonna worship. And here's my invitation for you. I just want to invite you to take whatever it is that's out of alignment with God and begin to just, however you talk with God, your prayer life and your worshiping, just say, God, you have permission to kind of examine this, and I'm going to trust you. And I know I'm lagging way behind in these areas, but today I'm going to catch up. And from this point forward, my goal, with your help, is to walk with you in this area. Because I want my whole life... To walk with you I don't even thank God I don't have to do it for 300 years but I'm gonna do the best I can in this amount of time to take the time I have remaining wouldn't it be nice if God just kind of gave us built-in expiration dates and we could just go okay I got this much time before I gotta get it straightened out and now then I know that but that's not how it works you have to make a decision today because you know one is promised tomorrow according to the scripture to say hey from this point forward I'm gonna walk with God and I might have 300 years if I do awesome Not expecting to, because that would be really out of sync with the scriptures, but I may have 10 more years, 20 more years, 30 more years, 40 more years, 50 more years, 60 more years, 100 more years. I'm going to make a decision to walk with God. So I'm going to pray, and as we just enter into worship. I'm going to leave you in worship and just believe that in this moment, you can have an honest moment aligning your heart and life with God. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for making a way for us to overcome all of the stuff and the, uh, to, to truly really be free and forgiven. Thank you so much for that. And we just love you. And in this moment, I just examine my own heart. We examine our hearts and just say, God, help us to walk in alignment with you. Help us to know you. Help us to, to God, have the kind of faith that Enoch had had. Even when we can't see the effects of it, we just trust you. Help us to go to your word and learn who you are and what you're like. Help us to live in the tension of making an impact and an influence by standing up for you, yet still loving people who are far from you with the kind of heart that you demonstrated here on earth so effectively. We trust you. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.